You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, I want to dive into this. If you missed last week, I really want to encourage you to to go listen to it because I'm not going to dive into like a lot of the little nuances. I want to get straight into this. But basically in Romans chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and turn there, Romans chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 14 tonight. We got to the first 13. Uh, but Paul has, has now turned his attention. It was to the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome. And he's now turned his attention toward, in chapter 9, and really through 11, he turns his attention towards the Jews. Because the Jews would have had a lot of questions after everything that, that Paul had just explained. And one of the main questions would be like, well, if Jesus is the Messiah and we're the chosen people, how come not all the Jews are believing? How, like, they're looking around and going, it's a small few here that are believing that Jesus is the Messiah. So there would have been confusion and Paul would have known that. So he, he is addressing that confusion. He's answering those questions and he begins by saying, hey, listen, just because you're a child of, child of Abraham, just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't make you a true Israelite. And he goes back and he shows it wasn't Ishmael, it was Isaac. And so just because you were the offspring of Abraham doesn't make you it doesn't make you God's true chosen people. And then he goes into Jacob and Esau and he's showing how God has just been electing or choosing a certain group of people to bring the Messiah through all the way till now, God's chosen people are those who would choose to follow Christ, who would choose to follow Jesus as the Messiah. And I wanna make this point too before we dive into verse 14 is God's choice of Abraham was not a choice over the other nations, but a choice for the sake of the nations. His choice of Abraham was not a choice over the other nations. It was a choice for the sake of the other nations. You don't find really anything in scripture where, and really in life now, you don't find where God does anything apart from co-laboring with a man. And so he, he likes to use the things in which he created. He likes to use his angels and he likes to use us. He wants to co-labor with us. And so what God said is he looked down and he said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you to bless the nations. And it wasn't a choice over the other nations. It was a choice of like, you're going to show my love to the nations of the world. <clears throat> so we, a lot of people get caught up on that word elect, but the elect are simply chosen for the sake of those who are not yet elect. So anyway, let's, let's dive into this tonight. If you will look in verse uh, 14, we'll read this here. <clears throat> let's read verse 14 through 24, and then we will talk about a few of these here. It says, are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this when a potter makes jars out of clay 
Does he have the right to use the same loaf of clay to make one for decoration and another one to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient, but with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to make whom he shows mercy, who are prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he has selected, both from the Jews and for the Gentiles. Again, I said this last week, and Peter admitted it in his book, Paul is confusing. Paul, like he writes these long sentences and he can be a tad confusing, but I think that's a good thing for us because we really, we need to sit with the word and we need to meditate on the word and we need to pray the word and not just read it and be done with it like it's the newspaper. There's, there's, it's, it's, like, it's just like the parables. There's things in there that God wants to reveal to us. Um, but in, in verses 14 through 16, we're saying, you know, are we saying that God was unfair? Of course not. I'll show mercy to anyone I want to choose and, and, and show compassion to anyone I choose. It, it, it's God who decides to show mercy. We can't work for it or ask for it. Um, this is simply about God blessing those that he chooses, not based on their works, but based on their faith. Not based on their works, but based on their faith. Remember, the Jewish people would have been really looking at this situation of like, man, we have followed the law for years and you're giving it to those guys who haven't done anything? Who, like, who were reprobates, who were evil, evil, evil people, and all they got to do is put their faith in you? All they got to do is believe in you, and we've been striving for years? And he's saying, like, I'll bless whoever I want. I'll choose whoever I want. I will love whoever I want. <clears throat> I, I will, it, this is all about us getting access to God by our faith in Christ and not by obeying the law is simply what Paul is answering here. We all receive the mercy and kindness of God, not based on anything that we do but based on his nature, based on his character. He shows us great mercy. He shows us undeserved kindness. And and earlier in Romans, it would say, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, he sent his son. He shows his kindness. He shows his great love for us, even when we didn't deserve it. And that's what he's getting here. And then you go into verse 17 and 18, and he's saying, (laughs) he he begins to show... uh, for the scriptures say, God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for this very purpose, to display my power, to spread my fame throughout the earth, so I can show mercy to some and I can harden the hearts of others. And I, and I, want, I want us to, to know tonight that this, is, this was judgment on Pharaoh. This was not a random hardening of heart. It wasn't like God looked down and said, I'm going to choose a random man to harden his heart. This was a judicial hardening. This wasn't arbitrary. This wasn't a pulling out of the hat. This was judicial hardening of heart. And it, and it was because Pharaoh had already hardened his heart towards God. If you go through and you read the play, depending on what translation you use, but there, if you go through the timeline of events in Exodus, sometimes a little bit tricky in what when actually happened. But if you look at five, sometimes six out of the 10 plagues, it isn't God that was doing the hardening. It was Pharaoh choosing to harden his heart against God. And then, and then in judgment, God says, all right, big boy, <laughs> okay, okay, I'm gonna get, and, and listen, Egypt was evil, super, 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 super evil. And so sometimes they're like, man, like, well, Pharaoh didn't really have a choice. Fa- Pharaoh and the Pharaohs before him had had choice after choice after choice after choice after choice, and they're continually beating down the people of God, the chosen nation of God. And even when, when Moses and Aaron come in, Pharaoh looks at Moses and going, what God are you talking about? 
I don't know this God. I refuse to know this God. And just kind of scoffs at him. And so, and so God says, okay, you can have, it's, it's Romans chapter one. It's, it, it goes back to that where if you, if you want this, God loves you enough to say, okay, this is what you get. And so this, we have to see, this was a judicial hardening. This was God's judgment against Pharaoh because of the way he had treated the Israelites and because he refused to repent. He had chances to repent and he refused to. And, and then God is also Okay, you're going to say no, but I'm, I'm still going to use you like a pawn in my game. I said it last week. We, we've got to come to the place of knowing the cross was God's plan, but he used the enemy to facilitate his plan. The cross was God's plan, but he used the enemy like a pawn in his game to facilitate his plan. So God uses Pharaoh to spread his name, his glory throughout the world. I mean, you think about it. When, when the Israelites got to the promised land, they were, the, the Canaanites were terrified. Why? Because they had heard what the God of the Israelites had done to the nation of Egypt. Because the nation of Egypt was the most powerful, and by comparison, maybe still the most powerful empire that the world has ever seen. And this God came in and whooped a bunch of slaves got out of this nation because of what their God did. They weren't warriors, they weren't fighters, they weren't whatever, and, they, and, and it spread throughout the whole world what their God had done. And so they showed up into Canaan, and Canaan was terrified of Israel because of what God had done to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh. And, and, and you, I mean, we can say that doesn't sound fair, but you got, if you go through and read it, it, it was Pharaoh's choice over and over and over again. If you look at verse 18, it says, so you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Jesus, Jesus did this. Actually, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was gonna do this, that the Messiah was gonna come and there were gonna be those who refused to listen to Jesus. And so <laughs> Paul is going if he hardened Pharaoh's heart, don't you think he can also harden your heart? Because the Jews are going, why isn't everybody believing? Why aren't all the Jews believing? And he's saying, because their hearts are hard towards me. They've rejected me. They've rejected my prophets over and over and over and over again. And you even see Jesus. And this is, this is where we have to, we've got, there's some things that are just kind of hard to marry in, in scripture. Like I said last week, his love is complicated. God's a little bit more complicated than we are. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways and thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so I can't expect my little cup of a mind to hold the Pacific Ocean. But Jesus seemingly many times used parables so that people wouldn't understand what he was talking about. One of the most common phrases that Jesus says is, he who has ears, let him hear. He would say things, people would show up to listen to him speak, and he would say things, and then he wouldn't qualify what he said. He would just leave. And who were the ones that got the secrets of the kingdom? The disciples. Why? Because they drew near. They came and they asked him, and Jesus was looking for the ones who would come and basically say, Lord, unblock our deaf ears open our blind eyes, soften our hard hearts because there's something that's coming out of your mouth that's stirring on the inside of me. And even though it offends me and even though it doesn't make sense to me, you've got the words of eternal life. And you see that all, in John chapter six, Jesus has probably his biggest crowd ever. He just gave him a free meal. 
Biggest crowd ever, 25, 30,000 people, arguably. And he looks at him and says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. See ya. And that's where people were going, what? <laughs> eat you and drink you? What, are you? what are you talking about, Jesus? And so many people were leaving that Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? Before explaining it to him, just says, are you going to leave too? And so we, we've got to understand that even Jesus, but Jesus did these things. He, he, people's ears were, were closed, eyes were shut, hearts were hard because it, were, it was the thing that was getting him to the cross. So that they, it was God's plan that he would be crucified. He was getting himself to the cross. It didn't say that their ears were going to stay closed forever. It didn't say that their eyes were going to stay closed forever. It didn't say their hearts were going to stay hard forever. But to fulfill God's plan to get to the cross, these were the things that had to happen in order for him to get there. Jesus chose Judas. I'm, you're gonna ch- he chose his own. Judas healed people. Judas was one of the, the 70 that got sent out and saw great miracles. He was the one that betrayed Jesus, the one that was constantly stealing from Jesus. And Jesus said it was predestined, the one to fall away. I kept all of those that you said, but one was predestined to fall away. That's, and some of that's kind of hard for us to marry. Some of that's kind of hard for us to see. Pastor Tim preached a great sermon on Judas a couple months ago now. It was so good. But one of the things he says is that Judas wouldn't pass repentance. He wasn't past repentance. He could have come back. He could I mean, the rest of the disciples ran and left him and abandoned him and Peter denied him and cursed a girl out because he was affiliated with him and Peter came back. So what did Peter see that Judas didn't? And so it, that's just the point that, 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 that Paul's trying to make here is, he, is God is sometimes going to harden people to fulfill his plans, but the hardening comes because they have constantly rejected him constantly rejected him. Judas was stealing from Jesus and betraying for Jesus before it says, before Satan entered him. And so Judas had chance after chance after chance. And listen, here's where you got to get to. If Judas, if Judas wouldn't have done it, somebody else would have. If, if it wasn't Pharaoh, it would have been somebody else. The enemy is going to use people. He's going to manipulate. We're, we're all condemned by sin. And so he's going to use somebody. <clears throat> Okay, then you get to verse 19, and it says, well then, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they, sim- haven't they simply done what he makes them do? And this, this goes back to Romans chapter 3. It was like, well, if God created us and like we're sinning, like how can he blame us? Like he's the one who created us. And this, this goes back to the garden where, where we're blaming God for our sin. Right, where where God comes looking for Adam, and Adam says, "The woman that you gave me." Right, he trying to just put it on God, the woman that you, Lord, not really the woman that he's blaming, but God, you gave her to me, and so it's your fault. (laughs) This is this is our intellect. This is our justice. This is our thoughts, basically trying to tie the hands of God and say. We're not responsible for what we've done when in fact we are responsible. And, that, and Paul goes into verse 20, <laughs> who are you, O oh man, compared to God? Who are we 
compare, who can, who are we, this creature, this person made from the dirt, made from clay to question the Lord? I mean, we can go read the last three chapters of Job and see how that worked out for him. And Job had a lot, he had some awful, awful, awful things happen to him. But when he turned and started pointing that finger towards God, God came in and said, you better brace yourself like a man because I'm about to ask you some questions. That's, that's what he says. You better brace yourself like a man because I'm about to ask you some questions. And so, you know, when people say like, well, when I see God one day, like I've got some questions for him. Mm, okay. <laughs> you know, good luck with that. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen is that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's all we're going to be able to do. That's it. We're going to, I mean, you, John the Beloved, the one that laid on the chest of Jesus during the Last Supper, who was best friends with Jesus. When he sees Jesus in Revelation, it says that he falls on his face as if he were dead in the presence of his best friend. Because that's how amazing and beautiful and glorious and holy he is that we're not going to have any questions for him. <laughs> and that's why Paul goes into verse 21. It's like you're like clay arguing with the potter. Why did you make me this way? You're the clay. That's the point. <laughs> you're, you're the clay. You cannot argue with the potter. And he's saying the creator, the, the, the potter has the right to make you what he wants to make you. He has the right to place you where he wants to place you. You know, I said this last week. Why me? Why am I here on this stage right now? Why didn't God place place me somewhere else? Why am I with my family? Why was I not born in Russia? Why wasn't, you know, why wasn't it 15 other people that could have been here besides me? God placed me here. And that, and that helps so much in our boasting because I, because I can't stand up and say, look at what I did. No, it's all God. It's all, and, and we, and you know, we've got to come to you know, if God has placed you where he's placed you, it doesn't matter if you're preaching from a stage, if you're a teacher in a classroom, if you're a garbage man. Those have no bearing on your value whatsoever. You are, the, the sphere of influence that you are currently in right now, God has placed you there. And we've got to simply be clay in the hands of the potter and submit and yield to the impulses of the Holy Spirit, to simply yield to what he says and tells us to do. And in no way can we ever boast and say, look at what I did. No, I'm just the clay pot being used however he wants to use me. <clears throat> that was good. <laughs> well, I lost my place. Where am I at? Okay. So we have to understand that God has the right to do whatever he wants to do with his creation He's God. Doesn't mean that he does whatever he has the right to do. We just got to know he's God and we're not. <laughs> so, you know, if you have a problem with that, I don't know what to tell you. You know, we're ants compared to him. <laughs> well, does this mean that I have no free will? Am I just a pawn in the hands of God? Does God harden people that doesn't deserve it? Be, uh, does he do it before they can come to Christ? Here's the deal. Paul's just be, I think sometimes as Gentiles, we read too much into this. Because Paul is making clear examples to the Jews. They would have clearly got this and it, it would have clicked with them right away. And so understanding, like read this from a Jewish perspective and not from an American in 2020. We've got to read this from, because they would have right away known like, oh yeah, like God hardened Pharaoh. Like, yeah, like I know that. And, and he used that. And they would have right away seen Paul is making the argument. 
if he hardened Pharaoh, he could also harden my, me or harden our fellow Jews or har, harden us for our rebellion to him, and it's his right to do so. And Paul, so Paul's main point is to use Pharaoh as an example of the hard hearts of the Jews who do, who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's honestly not trying to explain the complicated theme of Pharaoh's heart. His main point with Pharaoh is that God's purpose to bless cannot be thwarted by heinous human evil. His main point with Pharaoh is that whatever God purposes, it cannot be thwarted by evil. It cannot be thwarted by hard hearts. It's always going to happen. The crucifixion of Jesus was actually part of God's plan to bring blessing to all nations. And the fact that God can steer evil towards his purposes doesn't mean that he engineered the evil. Pharaoh is responsible for his own evil, just like the Jews were, just like you and I are. All are condemned, therefore all can be saved. And he goes on to make that point later on, I think, in chapter 11. So for us Gentiles in 2020, here's the simple thing. Just don't be like Pharaoh. That's it. Don't read so much into this and get caught up in like, will this and will this, will this. If you even have those questions, your heart's not hard. So you don't have to be fearful of it. Just don't be evil like Pharaoh. And and you'll be good to go. And understand that, understand that those evil things that have happened to you, they were facilitated by the enemy, but God will use them. God will, God will use the evil people in your life. He'll use the hurt. He'll use the wounds. He'll use those places because it's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'll just say this. like I would not be here on this stage right now if my house hadn't burned to the ground when I was 11 years old in the backwoods of Mississippi. Did God cause that? No, but he used it. I think it was the enemy trying to take me out, trying to take my family out. Did God cause it? No, but he definitely used it. And he used it to somehow position me here now, in my life now. I would have never met my wife. I would have never had my kids. None of that would have ever happened. And so understand, (laughs) nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the plan of God, the destiny of God, not even yourself. You You might be able to delay, but you cannot derail God's plan for your life. He's coming for you. (laughs) All right, we gotta move on. Y'all are holding me up. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, concerning the Gentiles, God says, in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will now call my people and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. So in this first part here, verse 25 and 26, he's, he's talking to the Jews concerning the Gentiles. So he's going to use to the Jews, the Gentiles in his example. And he, he brings up what Hosea said. And Hosea is the prophet that God told to marry a prostitute. It's weird. I don't understand it. Again, his ways are higher than my ways. 
but he was told to marry the, pro, the, the prostitute Gomer, knowing that Gomer was going to leave him. And it was a picture of his relationship with Israel on how Israel was going to leave him, but he was going to come after them and buy them back. And he's, and, but he's also, he, he's using it as the Gentiles, uh, for the Gentiles right here, as a symbol of God's relationship with his people, that they would leave him, he would come get him. He's saying, so I was talking about the Gentiles here, but, <laughs> but I'm actually showing you that this is what the Jewish people did. It, it's kind of weird. He's being tricky here. He's quoting the Old Testament. It's about the Gentiles, but it's really about the Jews. It's kind of strange. But he's showing them that God can, he can, God can make any people his people that he wants to. That's, that's what he's saying. Um, because God made the Israelites his people. And what, this is what he's showing them. He made them his people. And then because of their rebellion, not his people. And then because of his goodness, his people again. Are you tracking with me? Again, it's Paul. It's not my fault. It's the Apostle Paul. You can argue with him. He, uh, he's confusing. But that, that is what he is saying here. He's using the point that they believe in to prove, because they would have believed this, that yes, obviously, yeah, Hosea, Gomer, that was a picture of what we did to you and that you came and got us and all that stuff. And okay, now I see that you can make any people your people. He's using the point to prove that the Gentiles, although not his chosen people, that he can make them his children. And that although the Israelites, even though they're hard towards the Lord right now, he can still make them his people again. And this is the gospel. Paul is preaching the gospel to the Jews right now. That's exactly what he's doing. So then in verse 10, I'm sorry, not verse 10. uh, uh, Verse 27 through 29, he quotes Isaiah 10, where Isaiah is talking about how God always preserves a remnant. Because Jews would object to Jesus by saying, why would I believe he's the Messiah when most Jews don't believe he's, that he is? And so Paul is answering their objection and saying, there's always just a remnant. The Jews are looking around and going, why aren't all the Jews saved? And Paul's going, read the Old Testament, guys. There was always just a remnant. It always wasn't all of the Jews. It always wasn't all of Israel. There's just a remnant. <clears throat> and, and, and Paul is saying, don't count the heads of how many people believe to decide if you are going to decide if Jesus is the way or not. And I think that's good for us too right now in this culture is don't look around at your workplace, in your family, in different places and start, how come if he's really real and he's really the Messiah and he's really risen and he's real, how come all of these people aren't believing? Paul's saying, don't look at it that way because he's always going to preserve a remnant. When Elijah was alone in the mountain, and was like, I'm the only one. And God came to him and said, bro, there's 8,000 more that have not bowed to Baal. Like, you think you're the only one. And, 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 I, was, and I, I think this is concerning right now in the culture that we live in because we get caught up in Fox News and CNN and all these things. And, man, the world's just burning down. Well, no. <laughs> it's good for us to know. Like, no, I, was talking to, I was talking to a young lady and her husband last night, and she was like, man, the world's just so bad. Like, I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's, it seems like things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, man, I'm looking at my family, and I'm looking at my kids, and I'm like, man, it's getting better and better and better and better and better. It just depends on where your focus is. It depends on what you're looking at. And I know that we are in a kingdom that's ever expanding, that's always growing, that's always advancing, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Never, ever, ever. The church is always going to be here. <clears throat> and so that's what Paul is saying. Like, guys, chill on the head count. Just, be- just believe in him. And that's what we got to do. Like, you, 
it doesn't matter if you're the only one because if it's you and Jesus, you're the majority. Okay, like we, we're good. Chill, <laughs> chill on the head count. All right, last part here. Verse 30. We'll finish it out. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. And so he's, Paul's going to use a really, <clears throat> excuse me, a really sharp contrast to end here, especially in verse 30 and 31, because he's, he, he's showing the Gentiles, they were made right with God by not even trying. <laughs> they were made right with God by their faith. The Jews have tried so hard to obey the law, but they couldn't get it right no matter how hard they tried. And so from a Jew standpoint, it's like, like man, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem fair. And that's Paul's point. Right. It's not fair because he's that good. He's that awesome. He's that full of grace. And Paul, and Paul is trying to show them, you tried to obey the law, but you didn't. You tried to get it right, but you blew it. And so in God's grace, he's coming and he's, while the law was good, he's provided a better way for you now. And so you can rejoice for the Gentiles. Rejoice for your brothers is what he's saying. Like, come on guys, like it's not about all of that. Israel failed because they were trying to obtain righteousness through obedience to the law. And the Gentiles simply had to put their trust in him. And, And they pursued the law, maybe even with the right motive. Not that meant necessarily that it was a bad motive, but they could never successfully fulfill the law. What we learn from this as Gentiles is like we can fall into the same religious trap, the same trap of striving, the same trap of trying to fulfill the law, the same trap of trying to please God, not knowing that he's already pleased with us. He's already pleased with you. And so, and what that does is that sets you free and that causes you it, it, it empowers you to live the way he has actually called you to live. But if you're trying to live the way that he's called you to live on your own strength, you're always going to feel like you can never measure up. And so it's always going to be about works and it's always going to be about being good and it's always going to be about whatever. Listen, all of those things will come if you simply understand that it's not really about all those things. It's about communion. It's about relationship with him. It's about drawing near to him and understanding you have been made righteous, period. That's it. You've been made righteous, period. Not by anything that you've done. And that, that was Paul's all the way to Romans 8. That was his whole, whole deal. And then he ends it with saying that, man, it's because of Jesus. The Jews are stumbling over Jesus. And the main reason the Jews are stumbling over Jesus is because he didn't come the way they wanted him to come. They wanted him to come and be a political figure. And there's still Jews all over the world waiting for him to come and be a a political figure and overthrow everybody else. And Jesus is like, man, again, God doesn't do the way, he doesn't do things the way we expect him to do. 
And we've got to be okay with that. We've got to simply put our faith and our trust in him. <laughs> but, but Jesus became a stumbling block to them because they tried so long to obey the law to every detail. detail. These Gentiles get this free gift. It doesn't seem fair. But really, Paul's saying, man, you guys should be honored. You should be honored that you are the chosen people of God, that Jesus come, that he chose to come through us. And, but instead, they're stumbling over him because they think it's not fair, because he didn't come the way they wanted to. They're offended. I'm going to end with this quote, and then, then we'll pray. <clears throat> it says, So the Gentiles achieved that which the Jews could not achieve because they were seeking to find it by the law. But the Gentiles, accepting by faith, attained to the righteousness of God through faith. As the Jews stumbled over Jesus Christ, we have accepted him. We have received him because of our faith in Jesus Christ. God imputes our faith for righteousness, and he accounts us righteous even as he is righteous. For the righteousness of Christ is imparted to me through my faith in Jesus. So I am now clothed, not in my own righteousness, which is of the law, but of the righteousness, which is of Christ through faith. Paul is saying, how do you like it? I could have never done this myself. Though I was a Pharisee of Pharisees and zealous above all, I could never have done this for myself. But look what God has given to me. Look how God has clothed me. And the rest of it is junk as far as I'm concerned. The past glories and credits is nothing that I may know him. So good. Amen. Y'all stand with me. Let's pray. Hey, I finished Romans 9 tonight. Let's, that's a miracle right there. Praise the Lord. We'll, we'll continue in Romans, Romans 10 next week, and Paul's going to continue to lay some things out for the Jews. But Romans is so, so, so good. And I, think, I feel like this is so good for our hearts. It's so good for our church. It's so good for us. And, and I think sometimes we get caught up in, uh, well, I know that stuff. I've read Romans before. But I, but I always go back to C.S. Lewis. He said, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed because we, we leak we leak. And so we constantly have to be filled up. We've got to be washed by the water of the word. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for your apostles, for your Holy Spirit, for putting pen to paper and writing out these truths so that we can dive into it and get revelation from you. God, you still speak to us through your word. Your word is still authority. God, you said in in Psalms 138 that you esteem your word above your own name because everything that you say is yes and amen. And we believe in your promises. We hold tight to your promises. God, we, we look to you. We don't look at the world around us. We don't look at all the craziness that's going on, Lord. We look to you and we know that Jesus wins that you win, Lord, and we're so grateful to you. Lord, teach us how to live in that righteousness. Teach us how to walk in your peace and in your joy. Teach us how to share your kingdom, how to preach your kingdom, how to proclaim your kingdom, how to set up your kingdom, even in our own homes, our own workplaces, our, uh, our own community, our own city, Lord. God, we are a church that bows its knee before you and says, Lord, you're the potter and we're the clay. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.